Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Hello, everyone. I'm Dorothy Koshu, host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm sharing with you today a very special California State Legislative Update, which I recorded with the California Association of Health Underwriters. With CAHU's permission, I am also sharing this podcast with our Benefits Executive Roundtable audience. I do hope that you'll enjoy this special joint podcast. I'm very excited because today I have with me Faith Borges, Legislative Advocate with California Advocates, and Brad Davis, the Vice President of Legislation for the California Association of Health Underwriters. And today we're going to be talking about a lot of things, and we want to update our members and the public on the current state legislative activities. There's a lot going on, so we want to make sure that you're up to date. We're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming elections and the election process in California. We'll also delve into a recent report prepared by the Healthy California for All Commission, which is entitled An Environmental analysis of healthcare delivery, coverage, and financing in California. We think that you'll find this most interesting, so I just want to say right now, thank you very much, Faith and Brad, for being with us today, and uh, start off a little bit by telling us a little bit about yourselves. Thank you, Dorothy. Uh, This is Brad, and um, I am a broker. I've been a broker for uh, three decades, which only spans 14 years, but I'm also an agency owner up in Northern California. Uh, at WSR Insurance, a firm that's been around over 100 years, and excited to be serving the agents in California as VP of Ledge. Well, thank you for doing it. We appreciate you doing it as well. Faith, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself as well? Yes, thank you, Dorothy. Happy to be here. I'm Faith Borges. I'm one of Kahu's legislative advocates here in Sacramento. Um, I have had the privilege of working with Kahu for the past four legislative years. I joined the firm at the beginning of 2017 after spending nearly five years as staff inside the state capitol. So my experience um, that I bring to the table comes from both the inside and the outside, and it's really been a pleasure and Looking forward to some dialogue here today. Great. Well, let's first talk a little bit about the current priority bills that CAHU is tracking. As background for our listeners, can you give us a little bit of an idea on approximately how many bills CAHU tracks each year and how busy you anticipate the Legislative Committee to be this year? Sure, happy to. So the California legislature operates on two-year cycles. This is the second year of that two-year cycle. And at the beginning of the year to meet their bill introduction deadlines, the legislature, the Assembly and Senate combined introduced 2,223 bills. And that doesn't include resolutions or constitutional amendments. And it's my job as your advocate to read every single one of those bills and to narrow that down into bills that may have a potential impact on on uh, CAHU, agents, consumers, the industry. And from that list of several thousand that were initially introduced, um, myself and former VP of legislation, Jim Morrison, um, combed that down to about 104 bills. And of those, we decided that 30 really merited um, substantive review and additional dialogue with our legislative committee. And those were discussed um, at length at our bill review that happens in March. And of the bills that were reviewed, about 23 went on to become key bills for CAHU. 
key bills can have a varying uh, range in positions that the committee decides to take. So some of those we're watching at a priority level, some supporting, opposing, or working on additional amendments. Great. That's a lot of bills, over 2,200 bills to start with. I do not envy you at all for having to read through those. My, I, she earns her money. <laughs> you think? Yeah. I, I do the same with when it comes to you know federal legislation for my business. So I, like I said, this, I, I don't envy you this at all. It's, it's not an easy task. Okay. It's um, a lot of coffee. A lot of coffee is right, for sure. Well, the year started with a booming economy. We had a huge budget surplus projected, and then COVID-19 hit. Can you tell our listeners how that impacted the health care proposals in Sacramento and update us on the current state of the California legislature? Oh, absolutely. I feel like 2020 has an asterisk by it of pre, pre-COVID and post-COVID. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> as you stated, the the year started off so promising with that booming economy. The legislature was projecting a $6 billion budget surplus. And accordingly, they had a lot of big plans for how to spend that money when they introduced their bill packages in January and February. So earlier this year, the legislature had several proposals to expand health care coverage in terms of both covered benefits and covered individuals. And almost all of those coverage expansions have since been shelved post-COVID, um, and they're waiting on healthier budget years. So just so you have a sense of timing, um, the legislature is going to be adjourning for the entire year on August 31st. They're constitutionally required to do so. And then the governor will have about a month-long signing period where he can sign or veto bills that are sent to him in the last month of session. So we're at about the 11th hour um, as the legislature concludes and we put 2020 behind us. Yeah, and I'm guessing it's going to be a lot more cups of coffee between now and the time that happens as well for you, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Dor- Dorothy, if I may comment as well on that, the, you know, the silver lining about, about COVID, if there is one, I believe the California legislature has been forced to think a little bit more about governance uh, in a time of crisis or potential budget shortfalls. So this has generally led to some more prudent considerations when it comes to legislative issues. And while we, we were in support of a lot of the expansions, it is good to think forward about we're not always going to be in a six billion budget surplus uh, deal. So it's I think it's been a good exercise for the legislature, despite the uh, dire consequences of, of, of COVID-19. Yeah, for sure. Well, COVID-19 basically swapped the expected surplus, as you said, for now a huge expected deficit in the state budget. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about this and how did this change the priority in Sacramento? So COVID-19 quickly flipped the expected surplus into an expected $54 billion deficit. So that stalled a lot of the legislature's priorities on expanding benefits, including Medi-Cal, health insurance to undocumented seniors. Um, The budget this year does acknowledge, though, that that is a priority for better fiscal years. And among some of the other early proposed expansions, we saw things like treatment for infertility coverage, additional cancer screenings. The California Health Benefits Review Program, referred to as CHBRP, um, performs analyses on bills that are proposed to expand benefits. And this year, before uh, pre-COVID, they um, had completed 13 analyses of 
bills that would expand um, coverage benefits. So almost all of those bills have been shelved and the legislature, regulators, and certainly stakeholders are scrambling to cope with the new post-COVID realities in healthcare. Okay. Well, it's almost election time. Surprise, surprise. So I, I guess we should be expecting a lot of TV ads, mailers, and party debates. How big of an issue do you expect healthcare to be here in California? It is an election year and a presidential election year, which typically means there's a higher voter turnout, there's more campaign spending, and political strategists are vying for limited spots on the airwaves, especially this year, because your typical ground canvassing and rallies are relatively canceled due to COVID. So they're very dependent on those media communications. As far as healthcare, I think that you will see that play out more at the national level since state legislation like SB 562 a few years ago highlighted the constitutional and financial limitations of attempting single payer at the state level. Um, That's in large part because the state can't deficit spend the same way the federal government can. So you really have to make sure you have um, a funding strategy in place before enacting something like that at the state level, among other challenges. Um, But I think Brad has a little more on the national perspective that's going to really be key here. Yeah, the the national perspective is is still cloudy. Um, as we sit here right now recording this, um, the Democratic National Committee is is meeting and and formally electing or nominating uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as there on the Democratic ticket. And so uh, a platform hasn't clearly emerged yet. Um, it seems that a platform for single payer or a complete change of the healthcare system is not in the works. That doesn't mean that they can't come out with piecemeal legislation to address certain concerns. Um, Depending on perspective and and area that you're looking at, COVID-19 unveiled some uh, weaknesses in our healthcare system and then also unveiled some strengths in our healthcare system. And unfortunately, in an election year, Um, I believe that we will probably only hear more about the weaknesses than the strengths. Uh, The strengths being, you know, moving towards uh, successfully towards a telehealth, um, both on the mental and the physical side um, and how we handled that, how health insurance companies stepped up and uh, paid for COVID testing, though not perfect. Um, There was a lot of good things to talk about. Um, The FFCRA, the Families First COVID Relief Act, um, was a a big deal uh, to get passed and, and had a lot of healthcare issues in it. And so I think people can look to those bills and pull out certain platform ideas, but I don't think we're gonna get broad sweeping change um, as part of the ticket like we did back in 2008. So um, that could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing, but either way, the the consequences of who will actually be president in office in January uh, will certainly lead us down different paths. And then also how Congress pans out, whether uh, Republicans can keep a majority in the Senate um, and uh, Democrats can maintain a majority in the House. There's lots of polling out there, and it just feels like we're going to have to wait and see, not to mention the fact that I doubt we're all going to wake up the morning after the election and have our full results in hand. So it could be a long, dried-out battle. So I'm I'm anticipating um, quite a lot of mudslinging, and so I think that getting your news from an association or your local members and maintaining facts is going to be really important during all of this and try not to go down too many rabbit holes with uh, certain news sites, et cetera, um, on both sides of the aisle. So um, I think our, our value that we're, pr- we're bringing to our members is going to be more important than ever. 
Yeah, for sure. And you're right. It's going to be an interesting uh, couple of months here between now and the election and for several months after. So we'll, we'll, we'll stay tuned for the national situation, as I'm sure it will change rapidly. Uh, and mm-hmm. and we'll, be, we'll be in touch with our members more and more as, as time goes on about that. So I want to talk about something else. In mid-August, a new report was released from the Healthy California for All Committee which is a committee established by Governor Newsom in 2019, and its purpose was to, and I'm quoting here, develop a plan for advancing progress toward achieving a healthcare delivery system for California that provides coverage and access through a unified financing system, including but not limited to a single-payer financing system. Brad, you had some interesting reaction to reading this report, as did I. Um, I'd like to hear some of your initial thoughts on this report. Yeah, my reaction was, uh, I I know that uh, I have, two young children at home and and one of the popular things they see they they watch youtube and there's people recording themselves watching a trailer for a new movie at least pre-covid they did and and you get to see people's reactions to you know a new marvel movie or something like that i felt like i should have had a a recording of me reading this uh, 116 page document it was very interesting there were a lot of things I pulled out of it, and uh, we're still parsing through it, and we will eventually develop our opinion and a stance on a lot of what it has to say. But in short, the the way it reads is more like a blueprint for how California could potentially achieve a unified financing system, which I think is code for single-payer. Um, it, so there's I, different language. Way. As do I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think anybody who reads it would also see that rather readily. So – a couple of things that I my very quick takeaways is right up front, they do recognize how diverse uh, the population is and the demographics are in California. And I think we can all agree. We can just look down any any street in our neighborhoods and see how diverse we are, um, both uh, socioeconomically as as well as uh, racially and uh, political opinions, et cetera. And then they quickly the very next paragraph talk about how we need a unified financing system to um serve a diverse population. I just feel like that's ironic that we have a diverse population, but we need one system to serve them all. Right. Um, in my opinion, as, as a broker, I, I feel like multiple options and multiple choice is uh, the best way to serve a diverse population. So that right off the bat, I thought was an interesting premise. Mm-hmm. The other words that I, I pulled out of it is they keep referring to the fragmented financing in uh in the california marketplace and i wouldn't call it fragmented financing as a broker i would call that choices um you know seniors have access to medicare um employees have access to employer sponsored care etc we can go into that a little bit later but um one of the the problems they point out with the fragmented finance financing system and i happen to fully agree with this is that there seems to be a lack of healthcare literacy in our state meaning that the average consumer has trouble discerning between plans and their options available to them and navigating the many options available to them and understanding a lot of the terms. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think that a unified financing system will solve any of those. I actually happen to be biased here and say that uh, a a seasoned veteran, dedicated, educated agent is the best way to help somebody navigate those because it's not as simple as – a or B, there's often many options. So I thought that was a really good opportunity for us at Kahu to embrace the the lack of healthcare literacy in this state and try to make a, a major change in that arena and let us shine. 
in that area. And I agree. And we'll come back to some of these points uh, because I think they're very important and I think we need to spend a little bit more time on on some of those. Can you start by providing us uh, with an overview of what the report was supposed to do? I could speak to that. Um, This is one of two advisory reports um, that the commission is responsible for. So they're not necessarily voting on any legislation or something that will bear the weight of law, um, but they are voting to advise, to approve and advise the governor and the legislature um, on recommendations that can be used to make informed decisions later on. So the The next report is due out in February of 2021, which is well after the federal election. And I think the outcome there will be very influential in terms of recommendations that the state can pursue realistically. Um, The recent report was broken into three sections. The first section describes the current state of healthcare uh, delivery and financing in California. The second discusses steps that California might take to prepare to transition to a unified financing system. And the third section, um, I think to be the most interesting, recaps coverage expansion proposals and efforts that are underway um, to address some of the goals of the commission. Yeah, well, let's talk about some of the specifics in the report. Brad, you mentioned in our legislative meeting right after the report was released that you felt the section on equity and community health was ironic as it related to how diverse we are in California. You mentioned that just a moment ago. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more? I know you you touched on it a moment ago. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you felt this section was ironic? Yeah, I don't see uh, choices um, in the marketplace as a negative. I see choices in the marketplace as a show of strength and um, actually a symbol of how diverse California is and having diverse number of options and how important that is. I'm reminded of I'm old enough to remember the ads back in the 90s um, under a uh, Bill Clinton presidency when he was uh, trying to get uh, universal health care out there. And a lot of the, the commercials and reaction were. Uh, the Harry and Louise, I believe, were their names. Mm -hmm. And they said, they choose, we lose. Meaning if the government chooses, we lose because we don't get to choose how our healthcare works for us. And I think that um, is still the sentiment even today, if not more so because of how diverse our population is. So I think this uh, journey or arc towards unified financing um, right now is not under the right premise. And I think embracing a diverse marketplace is, is the right premise and then reinforcing those other areas where the government can shine best uh, should be an area of focus. Yeah, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. As you know, I'm also a broker and a consultant, and uh, I have a lot of the same uh, the same thoughts that you do. Mm-hmm. I also want to say that you're not the only one. I was I was around back then too, and uh, <laughs> yes, I remember all those things as well. Uh, Faith, maybe not so much because she's younger than we are. But uh... <laughs> no, but um, you know what? Well, I am a little younger. Um, I can speak to some of the value of choice now. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I think our industry really celebrated the fact that. Covered California has 11 carriers that have returned to the market, and 80% of consumers are actually going to have more than four options, which is fantastic. So um, my takeaway from from that read is that shopping really matters, options matter. In fact, if you use the professional advocacy services of a licensed insurance agent and shop within your own metal tier, 
the reports have indicated that consumers could save 7%. And that's even at a time when we were in the middle of a health crisis. So I think that just goes to show that um, Mm -hmm. options are important and really add a lot of value to the consumer's experience and um, provide some significant cost savings. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, well said, for sure. Well, let's let's go back to the report just a little bit. Let's talk statistics. According to the report, 46% of people in California are covered under employer-sponsored health insurance. 40% are covered by public Medicare or Medi-Cal programs in California. 5% are covered by the individual market. And 9% are left uninsured. Let's talk for a moment about the 9% that are uninsured that the report cited. That's 3.5 million people that are uninsured. Can you please break down those numbers for our listeners and uh, help them to understand a little bit better about who exactly is uninsured? Yeah, of that three and a half million, um, they do break it down. And there's a great graphic in the report, um, which we will um, distribute to members or make readily available. It's it's not a, a private thing. I will say uh, from the get-go, they're, they are using um, also undocumented uh, people in their equations, which is fine. They are here in California. It's important to note that. But I do think it, it skews some of the numbers, um, which just people need to be aware of. So out of that three and a half million, 550,000 are are actually eligible for employer sponsored coverage they just for whatever reason do not enroll in it I want to uh, just 300... I don't mean to interrupt you but I just want to hit on that again you said 550,000 are actually eligible for employer sponsored health coverage and yeah. and they didn't enroll and they didn't enroll so coverage is available to them um, great coverage um, we assume and they just don't take it so they're choosing to be uninsured and that you know, if we're talking about a full marketplace, one of the options in a marketplace is to choose to be uninsured. So that's what we believe those those folks are for. Um, and now with the ACA mandating that all coverage needs to be affordable, um, we, we can make an assumption that that employer-sponsored coverage is affordable to them. They're still just choosing to not be enrolled. Mm-hmm. And that's 550000 Yeah. 300, 370000 are eligible for covered California. Um, and they're estimating that those folks would not qualify for uh, premium assistance because uh, their income is over 400% of the federal poverty line, uh, and that's 370000 But 610000 of these $3.5 million are are eligible for covered California and are under the 400% of federal poverty line. So some sort of premium assistance, also known as a subsidy, and that's 610000 and they still choose to not be in, enrolled, and then this next figure is the most telling of all. I think six hundred and sixty thousand of those three point five million are eligible for Medi-Cal and choose, or for whatever reason, are not enrolled on Medi-Cal. And Medi-Cal is free, so six hundred and sixty thousand people um, that qualify for free coverage through the state and do not enroll in it. And then the remaining one point three million are undocumented. So just from a percent standpoint, um, of that nine percent. About three and a half percent are undocumented. Uh, a little over one and a half percent are uh, Medi-Cal eligible, and another one and a half percent covered California eligible. And then just under two and a half percent are are uh, available to employer-sponsored coverage or non-subsidized covered California. 
Yeah, and those numbers are huge. And I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the specifics on that because I, I, when I looked at this, when I read the report, um, by the way, you said you wish you could have recorded that. You wouldn't have wanted to have seen my recording of that <laughs> while I was reading the report because I was pacing up and down and I was, you know. Anyway, so um, a little Mine would have to have been labeled uh, NSFW. So that's, that's a good thing too. <laughs> but I just My wanted... reaction to this section is go get them, agents. Let's get these people covered. <laughs> that's right. Yes. That's right. But, but, it, but when you think about it though, I mean, what you said, the majority of these are people that are eligible for coverage. I mean, 610,000 are eligible for Cal- cover California um, for premium subsidies and 660,000 are eligible for Medi-Cal, Medi-Cal, which means free coverage. Come on, people. I mean, that's yeah. that's I mean, it, <laughs> highly subsidized to paying nothing and they still don't enroll. So anyway, I just wanted right. to. And the largest group and the largest group were the undocumented. And there were certainly a number of bills on the table this year uh, looking to expand coverage to that that group. And um, Kahu is in support of, of uh, many of them. So that's that's going to continue to be on the table once we get into a budget a neutral year or in, in better years. So um, do look for that to come out. And people do have opinions about that, but certainly getting coverage for people, uh, regardless of what their status is, um, is is a priority of Kahu in many ways. So um, that's important to note. That's that's good to know as well. Uh, let's talk about the loss of employer coverage due to COVID-19. The press has been all over this. And as you know, I'm covering this in a feature article in the statement, which will be released soon. That's our California Association of Health Underwriters uh, publication. Can you tell our listeners what employees who are laid off due to COVID-19 are actually eligible for and what their actual options are? Last I heard, we had something called the ACA and the marketplaces that were there to help in these situations. Yeah, we well, I mean, the thing that most people know is if you're laid off from employer or furloughed from employer coverage, you have COBRA Mm -hmm. available to you. Mm -hmm. But this day and age in a post ACA world, um, COBRA seems to be the option of last resort because many people, once they lose employer sponsored coverage, will qualify for Medi-Cal, which is the free option or some sort of premium assisted covered California plan. And the nice part about those is you used to only have to go on COBRA. The main reason you would is because there was health underwriting involved. And now that there's not health underwriting involved on the covered California individual plans, you know, those plans are open to everybody. And as Faith already beautifully mentioned, there is a plethora of plans available to people up and down the state. And in most cases, four or more plans available to them. And using an agent... Uh, even covered California, um, Peter Lee, the director, said that using an agent will most of the time result in an average of 7% savings as they help navigate them through the different options. So that's important to note. And then the special election period, normally somebody has about 60 days after their termination of coverage to to go on the covered California during their SEP. And, um, of course, we've uh, the governor has repeatedly has extended that through the end of this month in August. And and then uh, that opens up a whole bunch of different options for people. So losing employer coverage is while that's a stark um, headline, it's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning of the journey, especially when you've got an agent there to hold your hand through it. Right. Exactly. Let's go back to the report. There's a transition section in the report, and the report states, and I'm quoting, however, the lack of awareness of such protections, as discussed in the port report, by the way, uh, and the need to take action within limited windows of time can lead to disruption in care or gaps in coverage. And I know, Brad, you uh, had mentioned something about this earlier, and we're going to come back to that. As described, and I'm going back to the quoting now, as described further below, the health plans available through each coverage source offer different hospitals 
physicians and provider networks. Coverage transitions sometimes contribute to disruptions in care and may add to consumer confusion about in-network providers, covered services, procedures that need prior approval, and processes to fill prescriptions. With no uniform method for identifying patients or providers, information sharing between care delivery settings can suffer. End quote. Brad, I know you have something to say about this. You've already mentioned this, and you've talked about the role of the agent. Would you like to uh, share some additional information about this with our listeners? Sure. Uh, any agents listening to this or anybody who's been around um, this this world for a while, this will be no surprise to them. Of course, this transition from your employer-sponsored coverage to either finding coverage on your own or even into a new employer, it's it's a rocky time. It's, it's a time where you've got a lot of different things coming at you and you need somebody like an expert to help transition you through that. It's no different um, when you're looking at your retirement options and, and financing your retirement or um, – I mean, for crying out loud, just shopping online um, requires the assistance of some people in looking at reports. So it shouldn't be a frictionless experience. Um, and I don't think that you could ever, I think that's a fantasy that you could ever have a frictionless experience when you're making a transition. I think that it's great that we have something called the agent um, in, the, in this nation and especially in California to be there um, almost always at no cost to mm-hmm. the consumer to be able to navigate these waters of Cobra and Covered California and so on and so on. So I um, I don't see this as a negative. I think that people want options. If people only had Cobra as an option, um, that could be a problem, but we have solved for that. And so I see that as an opportunity for agents to shine and continue to do work that we do um, in a fully educated way. So it's a, it's an opportunity for us. Yeah, well said, well said. The report basically tacks ERISA and self-funded plans. And as you guys know, this is my specialty. Um, I happen to be a broker consultant that specializes in ERISA and self-funded plans. So again, when I was reading this part of the report, I'm not afraid to say that I was a little bit emotional about it. So I just want to say that up front. Um, So I want to talk about one specific thing in this section. The committee is concerned about federal protections under ERISA for plan participants. They make it sound like protecting plan participants is a bad thing, and maybe I'm misinterpreting that, but that's the way I took it. And again, as I said, I I already made a statement saying that I was a little bit emotional while reading this because this is my specialty. The report says, and again, I'm quoting, in developing a unified financing policy, the state will need to address possible conflicts with the Federal Employee Retirement Income Security Act, ERISA, in relationship to self-funded plans. Self-funded plans are those in which the employer assumes the financial risk of the employee's health care costs and pays for their health care expenses directly rather than purchasing insurance and having the risk shifted to a third party. Very large employers are most likely to self-fund because of their size better positions them to forecast and spread the risk and because it allows them to offer uniform benefits to their employees nationwide, avoiding both state benefit mandates and state-imposed insurance taxes. At least 5.5 million Californians are covered through self-funded employer arrangements, unquote. And by the way, I just want to mention, uh, because we're talking about ERISA here, um, it's not just self-funded plans that are covered by ERISA, um, and it's not just very large plans that self-fund. For example, I have several clients between 100 and 500 employees have been self-funded for many years and have done very, very well. Um, But groups over 100, uh, even fully insured groups, as well as union plans and others, are covered under the rights of ERISA. So I'm just throwing that in as an FYI when they start talking about ERISA situations. It does, again, specifically talk about the self-funded portion, however. The report goes on to say ERISA would preempt a prohibition on self-funded employer-sponsored plans in the state. 
unquote. They talk about strategies for a unified system uh, and these proposals to reach their goals without ERISA preemption, and then they talk about payments to providers. The report states, and I'm going to quote this again, I apologize, but I think it's important that people understand this. Another approach could be to place restrictions on providers, for example, prohibiting providers from accepting payment from any source other than the unified system or at any different rates, unquote. They do Insert expletive there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Brad. They do state that litigation is likely, and that's a quote as well. Um, and I'd like to get your take on this and comments and opinions. I think you kind of already know mine on this, so I'd like you guys to uh, <laughs> talk about this just a little bit. Sure. Faith, why don't you start us off, and then I'll add a little color at the end. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, so as you know, California is not shy when it comes to litigation uh, with the federal government. But I believe the last time uh, in California that we almost had a high-profile ERISA suit was when Healthy San Francisco was enacted, notably under now uh, Governor Newsom. But then the Affordable Care Act happened, and Healthy San Francisco was small potatoes, and the rest is history. It's my understanding that, well, yes, ERISA is a factor. Um, I'm looking forward to reading your article on that, by the way. Um, some of the more timely obstacles for the proposal are in the core of the mission, which, and now I'm going to quote, um, quote, under unified financing, the report is attempting to arrange healthcare in a way that eliminates, quote, distinctions among Medicare, Medi-Cal, and employer-sponsored insurance. So, while this is the goal of some commissioners, I don't know that that resonates with the majority of Californians. Studies show that it doesn't when it also requires heavy additional taxes to pay for an unknown and unguaranteed benefit. Yeah, eliminating distinctions among Medicare, Medi-Cal, and employment-sponsored insurance is another way of saying that'll go away. So taking Medicare away, taking Medi-Cal away, and employer-sponsored insurance away and having a one-payer system. Um, that's what all the code speak is for, and that is definitely alarming. Insert another expletive there, correct, Faith? <laughs> I think so, and actually, um, just to look at other experiences, I believe that in the state of Vermont, even after enacting a single-payer system, it was ultimately this lack of distinction between um, the government programs and employer-sponsored programs that some of the unions protested um, with this actually becoming in a program that could be implemented. Um, so just some food for thought here as California yeah. marches down a similar path. Right. And I just want to kind of end this particular part here on, I want to come back to what we said initially, and that is what Brad was talking about. Um, and that is the fact that so many people are covered by employer-sponsored health plans. And one of the things that obviously CAHU is in favor of um, is protection of the employer-based healthcare system, of course. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I just want to just remind people how many people are covered under employer-based, you know, healthcare systems in this country, and how many people do this very successfully, and how many employers really enjoy offering healthcare to their employees through their through their mm -hmm. uh, employment situation. So I just want to kind of just come back to that and say that um, while we're hearing all this stuff going on, I think it's really important that our members and the listeners understand that um, when you're talking about getting rid of one system that's worked really well, that's, that's kind of a, a tough pill to swallow um, because, like I said, you don't want to fix what's not broken. You want to fix what's right. broken. Uh, and I think that's the point that I'd like 
to make uh, on yeah that well topic. nation nationwide it's just shy of half of all Americans are covered by employer-sponsored insurance and the vast majority of those folks are satisfied with the coverage that's available to them so it's uh, it's working as it you is say. working it is working yeah it- to add a, a little bit of perspective on some of the analyses that's done by proponents and opponents of a single payer system, um, a lot of people initially are supportive of um, expanding single payer systems when they envision that to be expanding benefits to those that don't already have them. As soon as consumers, though, on the other hand, find out that they would be required to give up their existing benefits that they're happy with, um, the scales just flip on their heads and um people become starkly opposed to giving up their current health care. Um, what they really were intending to say is they support something more along the lines of universal coverage where people that don't have coverage become covered. Good point to Mike. Good point. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk terminology for just a moment. Kahu, incidentally, has some important consumer information on terminology, a glossary of terms, uh, on its website. And you can get that at kahu.org. Can you tell us a little bit more about what universal healthcare means? And let's talk a little bit about this terminology. Yeah, I think it's become obvious that those that are speaking about single payer, universal health care, Medicare for all, use those terms interchangeably. Um, but these terms are not interchangeable, and they already have a set definition about what they are and what they're not. For example, a universal um, access to health care is a broad term for a program or programs that make some level of basic coverage available to all. That's likely through a government program, um, but it also allows for private insurance as a choice to the consumer. Universal access to health care, which includes a private insurance option, would allow consumers and employers to continue their current types of health plans, assuming those plans offer at least a basic coverage um, that's required. So some examples are Canada, the UK, Germany, and Japan. Um, to help our members educate themselves and clients and elected officials on terms like this and single payer, Medicare for all, public option, et cetera, we have developed a glossary of key terms that's available in our members only section of the Kahu website. Right. And furthermore, I mean, that's that that term universal access to healthcare. That's that's something that I think everybody can get behind, especially Kahu. So we we support the position of giving everybody access to healthcare, but through a public-private partnership, not a unified financing system, as they describe here, where they'll take a bunch of options away. Right. And I think that's an important distinction to make because people just sometimes don't understand the definitions and the terminology. Mm-hmm. So given the release of this report, it appears that CAHU and other organizations have now what Brad, you termed as a roadmap as to mm-hmm. what the state's campaign will be like in the coming months. What are your closing comments and what is your message to our members and our listeners about the future of healthcare and our systems in, here in California? And is the single payer fight over or is it just beginning again? I, it is not over. Um, we thought we could put this to, to rest and I'll let, I'll let Faith speak a little bit to our most recent fight with SB 562, but just my opinion on this. Yeah, it's definitely a roadmap or a blueprint. I was calling it, which is, which is an interesting gift. It's almost like we have been given a gift of, Hey, here's what we talk about behind closed doors when we want to start pushing single payer in this state. And now we have it in writing in the form of a 116 page document with appendices, et cetera, et cetera, and graphs. And it's interesting because it, it gives us an idea behind where the thought process is behind a lot of these bills that come to the table. It will allow us in advance to start developing some strategies and one voice 
around why these uh, options are not a good idea or this one option is not a good idea. And so I think members um, should look forward to in the coming months in the rest of this year and so on and so forth, um, messaging coming from Kahu that will um, highlight the the strengths of our current system and highlight the weaknesses of a unified financing system. And then we need to be able to get that message uh, sent out broadly because we can send this message out to our people over and over again, but nobody will hear it. So what we need to count on is want our members to hear it and then also take that message to their clients, to the people that they're helping um, at the employer level, the employee level, the individual level, to the Medi-Cal clients, all that different stuff. So we are just now beginning this fight all over again and we'll 100% rely on our agents to be able to um, get our messaging out there. Yes. Go ahead, Faith, you were gonna say something. Oh, yes. Speaking of um, agents, so Kahu has been present at each of the hearings for SB 562, which was the proposed single-payer legislation in California a few years back. We've also been present at each meeting of the Select Committee on Single-Payer and now the Healthy California for All Commission. We continue to provide polling and comments and resources uh, for the historical narrative on accessing health care, as well as looking to the future. We've seen amongst the commissioners themselves that there are many different different ideas on what the objective is and even more ideas on how to get there. And what we do agree on, I think universally, is the fight for quality, affordable, accessible health care. Mm-hmm. And yes. we believe that agents pay, um, play a key role in that dialogue. They're the boots on the ground for decades and can speak to all elements of the consumer experience from accessing um, to financing and overall satisfaction. So... Yeah, I think that's important. Join Kahu. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's an important thing. Yeah, join Kahu for sure. Um, So how can people help Kahu to help them in this matter? This cannot be overemphasized. The first step is to join Kahu. Those who are listening to this podcast, most of you are probably already members. Um, but please join. Get other people to join. Get other people in your office to join. Get your your people at your um your roundtables, your networking groups, all that stuff, if they're an agent or related to this industry at all, please get them to join. Because as a member, your dollars go towards this fight um, to ensure that the consumers are maintaining choices that we have talked about over and over again here. And that healthcare is a right for them. And we need to be included in this conversation. Even if you don't want to be a member uh, of this association, there are other ways to help as well, including giving to the PAC, which Faith, I'll let you talk about that. Sure. Um, the role of the Kahu Pack is to thoughtfully invest the money from our members um, that they entrust to us by supporting candidates that have similar goals and a statistical probability to win election or re-election. Pack dollars are distributed in such a way as to maximize the development of relationships with legislators on both sides of the aisle. The PAC board works with our legislative advocate, that's myself, um, to help generate understanding of the role that our industry has on our clients, their constituents, and the impact that proposed legislation has on consumers, the healthcare sector, our own businesses. Um, You don't have to be a member of CAHU to give to the PAC. We have both candidate um, PACs and then also issue PACs where you can, um, as has been discussed throughout this entire conversation, I think really there's a demonstration that the issue of um, universal access, single payer, universal financing um, is really going to be a big topic and and you can have a role in in the outcome so please contribute 
right? So you can have your spouse contribute, your significant other, you can have your children, well, not your children unless they're of a certain age, your clients can all give to the pack as well. So we can put information on that. But even then, if you're uncomfortable, you know, with making contributions to the pack, talk to somebody so we can maybe perhaps get you comfortable. But there are many other ways to be able to to help this just by joining. There's lots of committees. Uh, we have adopted legislator committees, um, committees to help put our capital summit together, legislative committees, your own local board is a great way to start. And you can help out planning parties for your local board and then see what happens from there. But above all, don't do nothing. If you just sit back and do nothing, we lose control of this conversation and you have very few people helping control this, um, where this goes, and eventually we could lose that fight. So do something, whether it's just joining, also contributing to PAC or also serving, don't do nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another um, great way that people can get involved is by attending our annual summit. Like most summits this year, um, following COVID and best safety practices, it's going to be virtual. So I think there's a lot more opportunity for um, non-members, but folks that are certainly impacted by this wonderful industry to engage and to get some great materials on what's going on and ways that they could get involved. Um, There's a lot of great information that will be flowing directly from the state capitol, folks from our national capital that'll be giving information on the latest and greatest reforms as they take place. I believe that the conference this year is October 6th and 7th, and that will be virtual. So um, mark your calendars and hope you can join us. So some of the key takeaways here today, keep in mind, the most important thing that we're talking about is the preservation of the employer-sponsored healthcare market, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we want you to understand that Kahu is working this fight alongside you and with you and for you. So we would like you to join the association. You can go on to the website at kahu.org and you can you can sign up or you can talk to anyone in any local chapter. They'll have uh, they'll be happy to hand you uh, a membership application. And of course, lastly, as we talked about, very importantly, to contribute to the Kahu Pack. So some really important things uh, to keep in mind as we close today. So with that, I know we're out of time. So I wanted to thank you, Faith, and thank you, Brad, for helping me with this podcast today and helping us get this message out to our members and to hopefully the general public as well. So thanks for your time. You bet. Thank you, Dorothy. Thank you, Dorothy. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Hello, everyone. Once again, I'm Dorothy Koshu, and I am the host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I wanted to let you know that while this podcast was being processed for publication, the article that we referred to in this legislative update was published in the September-October issue of The Statement, which is produced by the California Association of Health Underwriters. You can find it on the CAHU website at CAHU.org. Simply click on the newsroom on the top right of the homepage and then scroll down to the September-October issue of The Statement, and it's the feature article, which is found on page five. It is entitled, Will COVID-19 Employment Layoffs and Loss of Coverage Spark Another Single-Payer Debate This Election Cycle? A Look Into the Reality. By the way, you can also find a copy of this article on our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com. In addition, we were just notified that this article will also be published in the forthcoming October 2020 issue of California Broker Magazine. So please, everyone, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay with us here at the Benefits Executive Roundtable while we'll try to keep you up to date on as much as we can during these very trying times. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. 
This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835 or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.